If you have financial problems, we have financial answers. Hey, everybody, Pete the Planner here, CEO of Hey Money. We built this company specifically to help you solve your financial problems, to answer your financial questions without trying to sell you stuff along the way. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get amazing answers from amazing people for an amazing price of about $20 a month? Yeah, it's pretty great. That's why we created Hey Money. Go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com. And if you use the offer code radio, that's the word radio, you can get a discount because we like you more than everyone else. Callheymoney.com. Yeah, this is for the people living day to day, living check to check, make a little money, pay some bills, yo, we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, that's Damien Dunn and I, or Damien Dunn and me, all three of us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of directorness, Damien Dunn. Hi, Dame. Good day, Pete. That's a new title for you. Director of directedness? I don't know. Uh, Dame, here's this week's first question. Good day, Pete. Hmm. I've listened to every single one of your podcasts and enjoy your commentary. They were really good until Damien joined. (laughs) (sighs) But then the person goes on, Dame, to say, JK, JK. Oh, well, then clearly they didn't mean a bit of that because we all know that there's just a touch of truth in every bit of humor, right? Uh, I think so. Uh, If you say so. Anywho, I'm 33, my wife is 40, and we have 250,000 in retirement savings today. All right, so I'm doing some math here. That's seven years difference. $250,000 in retirement savings today. Traditional 401k and traditional IRAs are where they are. Since I married an old lady, I don't want to... (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy. He's he's okay, I guess. You know what? There's a bit of truth in every humor. Since I married an old lady, I don't want to work until I'm 70 or even 67, so I plan for a retirement age of 62. My question is about retirement savings calculators. I've used many different ones, and sometimes the outputs vary wildly. One calculator told me that I'll have $3 million and be just fine. That was at bank rate. And another told me that I needed $7 million. That one was at Vanguard. What? I've used your calculator, but I'd like to have a little more detail. Are there fair and objective calculators out there you recommend? And how do I know if they are in real or nominal values? Should I plan in real or nominal values? It's hard to think so far into the future. Thanks, Ryan. Man, what a great question. Well, I'm uh, uh, not really all that excited about answering, Ryan, after that little jab early in the, uh, especially to start off the show that way. Gosh, that wasn't very Nice. Do you know the best part is he spelled your name wrong? I know. So that made me think that uh, maybe he's talking about somebody else that you've you've had moonlighting behind my back. Sure, sure. Um, so the the issue with retirement calculators, no matter which ones you're looking at, I mean, there's the the theory behind the build of the calculator, but which involves uh, how much will your standard of living change in retirement, those sorts of things. But Dame, it's all about the variables, baby. If if you get one variable wrong or two it's a it's a dumpster fire the only way to achieve some sort of consistent result between calculators is to make sure that the details match really really close so uh, what rate of inflation is being figured into the calculator what's the return that's being figured into the calculator 
um, uh, ages and make sure that those are consistent. Are they taking into account any kind of taxation uh, for the calculator as well? So there's a number of different aspects that need to be considered when you are inputting all this information and all calculators are not created equal. You and I both know that. And so you can very easily get wildly different answers, just like Ryan's experiencing. You know, one of my favorite pastimes is to build weird calculators. I love doing that. I'll say this though, uh, or it's more of a question to you, Dame. Do you feel like the motivation to build a certain calculator that displays a certain outcome uh, would influence bank rate to do it one way and Vanguard to do it another way. In other words, Vanguard is going to make it seem like you need more money. So you keep investing theoretically and bank rate is going to make it seem like you have less money so that you borrow money and take on more assets. What, what say you, do you, do you think there's any validity of that? Do you think there's possibly a little bit of self-interest in the calculators that are being put out there, Pete? Really? Yes. I mean, come on. I mean, mortgage calculators are the kings and queens of self-interest when it comes to the build of the calculators. I'm suggesting these retirement calculators. Vanguard's just saying, hey, hey, put more in, put more in, put more, put, put more in. You need more money. And, and bank rates are like, nah, you're fine. Hey, why don't you buy a $700,000 house? I totally agree with you, by the way. I was just being a, a little mean. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. Wow, it's so mean. Yeah. I, How right, do, do you have tattoos that say like tough guy on your back, the small of your back and stuff? Yes. I, yeah, right there in the small of my back. The only place that I put my tattoos. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I think that depending on the company that is publishing the calculator, uh, they are going to have some self-interest involved. So if you can find a, um, uh, gosh, it seems weird to say a neutral party looking for your calculators, uh, maybe just a website that sells or has free calculators out there for you to use. Uh, Vertex 42 is a, a popular one that's got a number say that of one cal- again. Vertex V E R T E X four, two. It has a, a great number of calculators on there and they're all uh, in spreadsheet form, which probably appeal to you, Pete. Um, and you can uh, you you can get a really good grasp on where things stand now. What variables you use to when you put the uh, when you start using the calculator, that's up to you. And so it's important to have a, a reasonable grasp on what to expect for your future. In there, I do like the fact that he used multiple calculators. That's really smart. But he clearly needs a third to jump in and say, "What do you think?" I, I happen to like the million dollar day calculator that I built years ago because you can play with the variables. You can play with the distribution rate in retirement. You can play with the inflation rate, the tax rate in retirement, mm-hmm. obviously the rate of return. Dame, uh, another element to this where I think most people just get this wrong right off the bat is how much money they actually need in retirement. That's why uh, I'll speak for myself and my fam- my my family, my household's financial plan for us is just as much about eliminating the need for money, eliminating obligations and expenses as it is stacking Benjamins. So I don't think calculators really give context to how much money you'll need. They just make weird assumptions. A lot of calculators will ask uh, how much money you plan on spending in retirement. And it's a (laughs) fantastic question if you've got any clue of what that's going to look like. Because that number is going to drive how much you need to save and the success of your overall plan or the likelihood of success of your overall plan. 
And don't look at the person in the cube next to you and try and figure out what they're doing because that has no bearing on you either. You you may have drastically different um, goals for your retirement. So if you want to uh, buy a boat and fish the local lakes and ponds mm. every day in retirement, mm. but the guy next to you wants to travel the world, you're going to need a lot of different uh, resources to, to accomplish those things. So think about what retirement looks like. Go ahead, give yourself a minute to dream and think about what you have in store, what you want to have in store for yourself or your family when you reach retirement and then start to work backwards and see how much money you think that's going to take. And are you on track to get it? You know, you and I have had thousands of conversations about money, literally thousands of conversations about money. I don't think I've ever told you that one of my big beefs as it comes to financial planning is when a client, a person, a person with money is asked what they want from an income perspective in retirement, given no coaching as to what it actually means. And then the entire financial plan is built upon this uninformed premise. That drives me nuts. We, You and I have never talked about that, but that is truly when I was a financial planner, that always drove me crazy because I remember during the training, it was like two minutes of the conversation. And I always thought, shouldn't that be the first hour that you spend with the person and then you come back and do something later? I, I, that always bothered me. Yeah, that, that needs to be a big chunk of the the conversation and you know, the, the process for the whole planning uh, situation. All right, let's do this. Come back after the break. We're going to talk about stability. I'm, as you, as you know, Dame, I'm currently obsessed with financial stability. And so we're doing a lot of it uh, around that within our organization. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what is it to be financially stable? How can you tell if you're stable or not? That's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. This is our new musical interlude. Yeah. Back on the Pete the Planner show during the break of course uh we record during the week uh, uh oh uh, i've been cha- uh, trapping chipmunks for the last few weeks and so i had to go change the batteries on the gopro dame that gives me unfettered access to the video feed that allows me to videotape or video i should say the trapping of chipmunks i can't wait for your animal planet special if you want to see amazing trapping of chipmunks go to my twitter account at pete the planner and use the hashtag chip chat. Dame, all right, so I don't know, a month and a half ago, you and I are having a conversation about trends of the callers to your money line and hey money. And, and we start to notice that there's a distinction between who's really struggling and will struggle to recover and who is struggling, but they have a better chance to recover. And it was based on their level of financial stability. And so then we started doing some work. We thought, okay, what if we could measure stability? What if we could coach people towards specific types of stability so that if the, when these events happen again, they're better off. And if the events don't happen again, they just have a better base to build their financial life on. And that's when we became obsessed. It, uh, it was a little bit harder of a process than I anticipated, I'll be honest. Uh, it's fairly easy to identify certain things that you think uh, would lead to stability. But then you start layering in different factors that people experience in their lives and their financial lives and 
does this mean the same thing for everybody or is it different for different segments? And it becomes kind of a very interesting conversation. It's been a, a great ongoing project for our, our entire team. Yeah, your team has really built some interesting things around this and the debates have been really good and important and there's no right or wrong, but there's like, how can you make this concept uh, as meaningful to as many people as possible? I think it is important to draw a distinction between being financially healthy and being financially stable. I think the two concepts are different. Simply put, Dame, financially stable is if something bad happens you're able to withstand it. Financially healthy to me means you have good ongoing behavior. And so therefore you can be healthy, but not stable and stable, but not healthy. And you can be both or neither. Do you see it different? No. And they are maybe fine distinctions for some people that it may be difficult to parse the the two, but I do think there is a, a distinct difference between some of the behaviors and what they lead to. Let me give an example. Let's say your great uncle passes away and he leaves you $10,000 and you're a 22 year old kid and you make $2,500 a month take home pay. In that moment, you now have increased your stability. But if you aren't doing anything to contribute to that, or now that you have that, you're contributing towards your future with a 401k contribution, or you're paying down your student loan debt aggressively, then you are unhealthy but stable. Or Dame, the other way to look at this is, let's say you're that person's brother who doesn't get the money from the great uncle, yet you put you know, 15% of your income into your 401k and you put $100 a week into your savings account. To me, that makes that person healthy, yet they have not necessarily achieved stability yet. Yeah, they don't have that cushion to use in case something uh, bad financially happens to them. So they may be doing a lot of things right, a lot of healthy things financially, but they just haven't achieved that point of stability yet in their financial life. So let's do this. Let's walk through some of the factors that your team, (laughs) at the direction of, well, all the geniuses on your team, have come up with to help people determine Do they have stability in these micro areas to then say they have overall stability? So let's begin with significant income change, significant negative income change over the last six months. I I think that shock to income, especially in these trying times, is really tough to overcome. And Dame, to me and to your team and to you, the loss of sudden income or the sudden loss of income, I should say, is a big factor uh, in stability. If you haven't uh, been able to uh, have a an emergency fund established and set aside and prepared, losing income is going to be uh, probably a, a very big shock to the system, uh, unless you've uh, you know made some changes in your um, your spending habits to where you're you're able to be paying extra towards a bunch of debts that you're trying to pay down. You may not have the uh, ability to absorb a big change in income. So yeah, if you lose a, a, a significant portion of that, chances are you're going to be scrambling really fast and you are by definition not going to be very stable there. It just occurred to me that this discussion is going to span two segments. Has that occurred to you yet? Oh yes, about a minute ago, easily. <laughs> uh, you make a really good point there because... It's the scrambling 
that it, it's that sur- like what happens when you hurry, you know, um, when you get in a rush and you can't think of everything because of a sudden loss of income, you're going to be less stable be- because you feel out of control. And, and so that is a concept and a concern for us. Another one. When people are are not current on their bills, or if they have late payments on their bills, whether it be just utility bills, car payments, credit cards, medical bills, within the last 60 days, we view that to be unstable. There's an indication well, when that starts to happen, when they start to pile up, that the cash flow may be a little uneven. Maybe there's some spending habits that need to be uh, uh, corrected or at least uh, acknowledged and see if there's something we can do about them. Uh, so if, if you have these situations where you are just not able to keep up with your bills, man, again, you, you're going to, your back's going to be against the wall and you're going to have to try and figure out how to get from point A to point B. And it can be very, very stressing. You know, as we built this tool and began to talk about it, I think one of the challenges that we have and that people are going to have as they consume it is we're not judging them. We're certainly not making fun of them or anything like that. But I think when you're late on payments and someone makes you talk about that, it it starts to feel adversarial. But a big part of stability is the awareness around stability and admitting that you're behind isn't weakness, it's strength. And and I, I think... I think that's where people can find themselves unstable is that they're not willing to admit they're struggling. And that's a further sign of instability. If you're going to have this conversation with somebody else uh, about stability and, and what you could do to increase your stability, you need to be prepared to be brutally honest with each other. Uh, not adversarial, just as you said, but just to be honest, because if you can't get those things out in the open and talk about how to potentially correct some issues that that need addressing it's not going to be a very fruitful conversation. So you, you need to trust and know that the person you're talking to is going to be empathetic and has got your best interests in mind. So choose wisely because it is a very valuable conversation to have. And if you can have it with somebody else, great. Maybe that's an extra layer of accountability to help you make the changes and stay consistent with those things that are, are going to be improved. Let's see if we can get one more factor in before the break. What percent of your income is fixed relative to your total income, including commission, bonuses, overtime, and variable pay? Dame, this was a big one for me, both personally, you know, throughout my career to try to understand. But sometimes when people get a lot of overtime or they depend on commission or, oh, we always get a bonus and they set their spending and their lifestyle around that and then a recession or depression, or anything comes along, it creates instant instability. And so we're concerned about that. We're concerned that sometimes people get over their skis just based on their compensation structure. Variable income can uh, throw a wrench into a lot of situations, especially if you're not uh, being consistent with the expenses that you have from month to month. So yeah, this can be really, really tricky. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Coming back after the break, more on stability. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. This is another interlude. I use it to separate the segments. You'd think, don't you have something better to do than make these awesome songs? The answer is no. Enjoy the next segment. Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking stability. 
during these weird times, we've all learned that it's more important than ever to have financial stability. And Dame, one of my biggest concerns as it relates to stability, financial stability in someone's lives, someone's life, is that people have found comfort in their lifestyle. They found peace in their lifestyle. It's comfortable for them, but they haven't found comfort in stability. That is to say, people are like, we're doing fine. We can do what we want. Life seems easy, but easy isn't stable. And that is a really important distinction that a lot of people in the middle, upper middle and upper class is learning right now that comfortable isn't stable. It is so hard to prepare for the bad times when things are going so good because you just, you know, there, there's no end in sight. You, tomorrow, next week, next month, it's all going to be the same as it is today. And so I'm going to keep spending and, and doing whatever I want and it's all going to work out just fine. But yet inevitably when the bad times come, if you haven't prepared, you are setting yourself up for a world of hurt. You know, as I've been talking about stability on all these live streaming events that that I tend to do on a daily basis these days, I have four of them today. So that's that's a good time. Um, actually, I do enjoy them. They're just a lot of work. But Dame, I often talk about stability and I distill it down to the concept of an emergency fund. And that's the next factor we're going to talk about here in terms of stability. Having an emergency fund makes you naturally stable, as stable as any other factor on this list. But we felt that it this concept needed more nuance than just saying, hey, do you have a bunch in the bank because that makes you stable or unstable? Just having a cash set aside doesn't necessarily, as you just said, doesn't necessarily mean you're stable. And if you have a bunch of cash, you're right. That doesn't necessarily mean you're stable either. So what are your expenses on a month-to-month basis? How many of those months can you cover? Is it one month? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it 12 months? Who knows? But it's definitely something that you need to work towards because in my mind, man, emergency funds are kind of the bedrock. They are the foundation for stability. And if you've got that accomplished, you've got a leg up on just about everybody else. Yeah. And I think, you know, and we probably are not going to have time to get into this today, but this is where stability and behavior begin to go hand in hand to your point, right? If if I tell you I have $25,000 and some person might look at that and say, wow, that makes you stable. If I spend haphazardly, if I, if I have really bad, deep-seated, long-term habits, that 25 grand means nothing. So it really is about a multiple of your living expenses as opposed to a big, gaudy chunk of money. And we, this also ties in really nicely to what you kind of led the last segment off with. How did that $25,000 get there? Were you able to chip away at it month by month and add, uh, chip away, I guess it'd be add to it month by month and you know use your cash flow to build that? Or did your great uncle pass away and leave you that $25,000? Yes, you have that to use. However, if you put it in there yourself with that cash flow, that's just another level of financial health for sure, but stability because you now have the flexibility to use that cash flow if you need for something else. You know, it's funny, you're hitting upon all these sort of secret uh, beefs I have with financial planning today. I mean, we we hit the one in the first segment. Well, here's here's a new one for you. And I know we've not had this conversation either. I think when someone tells you how much they have in savings and you're actually doing financial planning or advising for them, just like when they tell you how much credit card debt they have, 
you have to ask how it got there. You have, you have to know the source and, and the time it took because sometimes, you know, $10,000 in credit card debt is a medical emergency. And sometimes it's four vacations a year you can't afford. And those are very different things. Absolutely. If if you were still in the financial planning game and uh, somebody referred a new client to you and talked to them and they've got half a million dollars to invest and they're in their late 30s, you're probably thinking, well, this is great. They're in their late 30s. They can add to it. The account's going to grow and we're going to have a great relationship or we're going to walk over the hills into the sunset forever together. What you don't know is that they have a spending issue and they've got half a million dollars, but they're going to drag 50 grand of that out a year because they need to support their own, their own stuff. And unless you find out all of the details that go around uh, somebody's financial life, you don't have a complete picture. So that's super important in- information to have. Another factor we look at in terms of a person's stability is their retirement fund contribution level, not including their employer match. Now, Dame, this was hotly debated uh, amongst your geniuses. Uh, a, a lot of these next few ones are. And here's where we came down. Number one, there's a general health and awareness to understanding that we all have long-term stability needs, right? And the other factor is how much of your current income are you not living on, which is a really important factor. It shows that we've broken dependency on income. In other words, people aren't living paycheck to paycheck. So thoughts, I mean, obviously you helped build this, but thoughts on retirement fund contributions and why they matter. You said was hotly debated. I'm saying still is being hotly debated because we <laughs> just had this is. we just had this conversation again yesterday and and what we are now debating is is that yes, it, it still has a place in our um our, our checklist. However, how much of a place should it have in the checklist? And we're looking at all of the the, the things as well with the, with the same eye. So you said it well, great. Let's hit the I, next one then, because the next one okay, falls right yeah, into let's, it. Let's, let's jump on that one. How much are you saving in non-retirement? That is to say, of your take-home pay, how much are you setting aside? It's a similar concept. And again, th- this toes the line between health and stability, but I still feel like to some degree it does speak of stability. Your willingness to not, not your willingness, but your ability to not go paycheck to paycheck. Entirely. If you are able to make uh, X number of dollars, but you only need a certain percentage of that, you are inherently more stable than uh, somebody who needs 100% of their paycheck because you can absorb small shocks. Maybe you can um, use your cash flow to handle an unexpected expense that pops up and you don't even need to tap into your emergency fund. You are just inherently more stable if you don't need 100% of the income that you are earning. And finally, the final factor that we looked at is, do you have total credit card or unsecured debt balances um, and and to what level? I got an interesting question. I should have told you this before the show. Interesting question yesterday in a live stream event where a person asked, okay, if I have three months expenses set aside, but I also have an equivalent amount of credit card debt, does that make me stable? I was like, geez, why don't you cut to the chase here? That that was a <laughs> great question. I would argue you're stable-ish, but not stable because you can carry the debt. You can make mm-hmm. minimum payments on the mm-hmm. debt and the and the uh, 
emergency fund can help you do that. It's not healthy, but it's stable-ish. That's exactly right. You are stable-ish, but not healthy. You've got more debt than than you probably should have. I mean, almost anything is more than you should have. But you have a way to manage that debt as well, because like you said, you can make minimum payments. So is it the ideal situation that you want to find yourself in? No, of course not. But could you weather something really bad that happened? Yeah, you, you've got time. You've got you've got that emergency fund to help bridge the gap from uh, whatever is causing you the pain now to getting past it in the future. So you know, no, it's it's not where you want to be, but it's okay ish. Dame, I want to make sure that we mention next week you are off, and this here show mm-hmm. will be co-hosted by the one, the only queen of the desert, Kristen from your team from all the way out in Arizona, we'll be co-hosting this show. We will live stream it on Facebook noon Eastern next Friday. But we also, of course, it will make it to the radio show and it will make it to the podcast. But Queen of the Desert for the entire episode, how nervous are you about losing your job? Does she know that it's going to be live streamed on Facebook? Anyway, she will be here next week. She does know. I told her. Okay. You don't think she knows? I, I just understand her anxiety. Oh, it's a good time. It is a good time. All right, coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and some current events, some good ones, some not so good ones. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. Fourth segment. Here we go. After this, it's no more show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, the bomb right here on the Pete the Planner show is the Boston Dynamics Spot Robotic Dog. Three years after making its debut in a terror-inducing video. That's a good topic. Boston Dynamics Spot Robot is available for purchase. Its dog-like body is fully programmable with a top speed of 3 miles per hour, a runtime of 90 minutes per charge of its swappable battery, and four legs that can handle a wide variety of terrain, including stairs. Dual payload ports give it the ability to handle a range of tasks, including opening doors, inspecting work sites, and handling loads of up to 30 pounds. A 360-degree camera and sensor let it avoid obstacles and IP54 certification means it's protected against dust and rain. Dame, you've seen this thing, right? Oh, yeah. It's terrifying. It's amazing. Do you think it's it's going to go terribly wrong and they're going to take over the world? It kind of feels that way, if I'm being honest. It feels like the prequel determined one of the Terminator movies a little bit. It does. Okay. So anyway, this is $74,500. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to feed it just electricity, right? I mean, think of all the money you're going to save. Uh, listener, longtime listener, Jameson down in Texas uh, sent uh, a suggestion for Bwam this week. He had a, uh, you know, thought of the day or a, a daily calendar on his desk, you know, mm-hmm. where you tear off mm-hmm. one yeah, tab yeah. a day. And the funniest thing was that I think he left work in mid-March and he went back this week for the first time. So he tore off a big chunk, like, you know, 80 <laughs> days or 90 days or whatever worth of uh, calendar. So he thought the biggest waste of money of the week was the fact that he didn't get to look at those daily funny things on his calendar didn't you have one of those calendars at one point there was a pete the planner daily desk calendar at one point you know it's funny story i've told you this story let's not 
there was one and it was great and I liked it. And then we were building a second one. They're like, hey, do another one. And so we started doing the other one. They're like, no, we're not going to do it. They didn't, you didn't sell enough of them. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it was hurtful. Dame, I do have weird sort of bad news, but it's like, we just have to acknowledge it, right? It, we talked about Robinhood last week and we talked about how they attract millennial day traders Mm -hmm. to gamify investing more appropriately, gamify speculating and day trading. Mm-hmm. And a story came out this week that is just heartbreaking. A 20-year-old young man who was deeply involved with Robin Hood from a consumer standpoint, he was a, he was a day trader that used their platform, committed suicide after he found that he had a negative balance of over $700,000 in his account because he was trading options. And as the story goes, reportedly, and they're still under investigation, Dame, from what I read, it seems like he just misread the interface. He didn't understand that that was part of the settlement process, and he really didn't necessarily owe Robin Hood $700,000. It, it was just a misunderstanding. Is that the way you read the story? It sounds like a really tragic misunderstanding of how um, settlement works and how options potentially work as well. And I... This is one of my biggest beefs about Robinhood. I don't, I'm sure you, Pete, remember that if you were going to get into that arena, you had to pass tests to be able to do that on behalf of your clients, just to sell options and to um, act on those trades or implement those, those trades on behalf of your clients. To my knowledge, you don't have to do that when you start doing it for yourself in Robinhood. Is, is that the, how you understand it? Oh, absolutely. And I remember studying for those exams. Those were, okay, so guess when I was studying for those exams? When I was 20. Yeah. And they were the hardest concepts I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. And let's just say this, Dame, I took that test twice. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to understand. And I'm out of practice. I mean, I used to trade options a little bit personally. Um but I wouldn't touch them now because I don't have the time to put into them. I'm not saying people who do trade options are making a mistake, but some of them are because they don't fully understand them. And to your point, this is what is disconcerting about the Robinhood platform is to appear appealing and uh, sexy and and fun for day traders. It, it really shortcuts the education process and it's not that a 20-year-old shouldn't be trading options. That's not the point. Age has nothing to do with this. It's that someone who doesn't understand options in settlement shouldn't be trading. And it just, I'm so sad for this kid's family and friends. I'm not saying it's Robin Hood's fault. I don't necessarily feel that way. But this goes to our discussion last week about gamifying day trading and making it too accessible. There are... Uh, unintended consequences that come along with how you present your product to people and to different groups of people. If you're going to gamify it like Robin Hood does, I, I think the article that that you sent me about this uh, mentions that, you know, you make a trade or something and there's confetti that shoots out on the screen. And uh, it just really makes you wonder what's the long-term goal or what's the short-term goal um, for uh, the user and for the company itself. And if you are going to make uh, the process of of trading so um, 
commonplace. So, um, so, so gamified, it, there are going to be people who misunderstand with potentially horrible results. Did you ever trade options or did you ever have a margin account? Cause I've got a story for you about when I did, did, did you ever do that? Personally? No, I, I stayed away from it. I was a drink of coffee. I wish I had stayed away from it because I remember very well my first margin call. <laughs> when <laughs> when you leverage money, when you leverage your investments, your assets uh, to borrow money, so you have are you are then trading, investing borrowed money, mm-hmm. um, and when the values fluctuate of those underlying assets, then all of the sudden your ratios get off and you're too leveraged and then you owe real money mm-hmm. to the institution you borrowed money from. And, you know, again, it feels like monopoly money. It feels like it's not real because it's all digital. You're never touching anything. And Dame, I had a margin call. I think I was in college. I want to say it was 2,500 bucks. I don't know where a college senior who is leveraging all of their assets to borrow more money comes up with 2,500 bucks, but I got lucky because it swung back the other way. Right. Yeah. Um, But it's terrifying. Imagine seeing, I think it was, I don't want to guess, it was over Mm $700,000. This person saw Mm -hmm. a negative balance and was probably scared and ashamed, didn't know who to talk to. You know, the chances that his parents were to somehow be able to understand that is unlikely, right? If you went to your parents and you're 20, if, if, look, my, you know, the average person's 20 year old goes to the parents and say, Hey, I owe $700,000. Do you think the parents really understand settlement and options trading as well? No. Oh, that's no. terrifying. I mean, the, the parents never would have had an opportunity to do this for themselves. They just would have had uh, their, their advisor handle this if they were even looped into that, that particular branch of, you know, financial planning. You know, this sort of play, and let's let's move on from this young man that, that took his own life around this because I'm this my next comments are about him. This whole discussion about Robin Hood and day trading, it really falls right in line with our discussion in the last two segments about stability and health. That you can have assets and be trading, but you can be completely unstable and you can be completely unhealthy with those same habits. And that's what's gotten out of whack is that people are saying, oh, I'm day trading. I have a bunch of paper assets. I am both stable and healthy. And neither of those things are true. Yeah, it's a great example of that. And can you day trade? Yeah, sure. But please be aware that there's way more losers in this than, than winners as far as how things end up for you. So just be very, very careful. And I wish CNBC, if I can be very frank here, would stop highlighting Robin Hood users beating billionaires. Like mm-hmm. there's so many articles about that. They've got to stop. They're yeah. hurtful. Anyway, that's all we have time for. Uh, send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. Queen of the desert next week, right here on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. All right, the show's over now. So like go do something else. Like, like read a book, try to watch some educational television, you know, do something good for your community. Which, I mean, like, cause I'm done. That's all I got to offer you this week. So, uh, Yeah, I got to go.